good you are. How utterly magnificent and wonderful and beautiful and merciful, glorious you are. How amazing is your love. And on this day, as we look at your word, may we be captivated. May we be captivated, Lord, by by the event and by the person behind it. Lord, for all the things that we've come in with today, the struggles and the battles and the heartaches and disappointments and the worries and concerns and the very stuff that choke the very fruit out of the good plants, do weeding in our gardens today. For where, Lord, there has been a lack of root and our faith has been shallow, Lord, burrow through that rocky soil that we would grow deep, deep roots. And Lord, if there be any who have yet to know you, let today be the day of their salvation. On this Easter afternoon, 2014, may it be the day that many would say, today I've given my life over to Jesus. Lord, let that not just be for those who have yet to decide once and for all, or I should say at least once, but let it be also for those who have been playing around, trying to get a little one hand in heaven and one hand on the earth. May today be the day that we surrender completely like we should. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. Let your word burst open and come alive. May we have so much fun in your word. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, do it right. Encompass us in your presence and let your word burrow into the depth of who we are. Transform us today, we say in Jesus' name. Amen. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Let's get one to you. We're going to go through that text a bit, and that is the text of Matthew, chapter 28. That's the first book of the New Testament. If you don't own a Bible, this is a, um, you can hand that in later at the end and we'll give you a better Bible to take home as long as you read it. We are, we're big on giving presents here. In the book of Psalms, chapter 16, David writes, Therefore, this is verse 9, Therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices, my flesh will also rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol or the grave, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And the book of Hosea, now written roughly about, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) 700 years before Christ. After two days he will revive us. This is Hosea 6.2, which means salvation, by the way. After two days he will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. In Mark chapter 8, verses 29 through 31, Jesus says, after Peter confesses him, he asks, who do you say that I am? After he asks, who men say that he is? And Peter responds with, you are the Christ. Then he says, he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. From the moment that Jesus is declared Messiah, you cannot have the Messiah without the mission. And his mission is to die and raise again. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to give his life as a ransom for many. But more than just dying, the next chapter in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verses 30 and 31, Then they departed from there, passed through Galilee. He did not want anyone to know it, for he taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise on the third day. Then as Jesus prepares to head into Jerusalem, at least our third time uh, in regards to this warning, in 18, Luke 18, 31 to 33, it says, He took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem. And all the things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. Not what might be, could be, it's, gonna, it's possible. The forecast is likely. He says, it's going to happen now. 
all that was written in the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon. They will scourge him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Three different distinct times. Jesus pulls his disciples aside and says, I'm going to die and raise again. And they, like all brilliant theologians and ourselves, smile, look, and it's like cricket, cricket, cricket. We get none of it. Though Jesus couldn't be more plain, death, what do you think he means by dying? Raise again, what do you think he means by that? See, it says that it was kept, they were kept from seeing it, but you need to understand why. Because the next thing we read, by the way, is that Peter and John get mom. Well, actually, John and James get mom. And John and James's mom, who, by the way, we read that they're called the sons of Zebedee. That's dad, Zebedee. We also read that they're the sons of thunder. Is that mom? That's your decision. Or are they luchadors? Sons of thunder. Maybe it was mom. Nonetheless, mom comes up and says, Jesus, I want you to do whatever I say to you. Jesus is like, well, what would you like? That my boys be at your right and your left hand when you enter your kingdom. You see, the reason why they were kept from seeing it is because their eyes already had, they were full of something else. And what they were full of was their own agenda. What they wanted. You see, the idea is they knew that there was a prophecy that the Messiah would come and he would be king over all kings, Lord over all lords. And if he's raising up these guys, who gets to be vice lord? Who gets to be vice king? See, 12 of them are arguing over who would be greatest while Jesus is serving and healing and not sleeping. While they're too busy trying to figure out who's next in line. See, the thing that they couldn't hear is the same thing, might I say, that the Christian church can't hear often today. you got to die. You see, that's the problem. You see, we teach a deathless Christianity. And with a deathless Christianity, Jesus didn't die for your sins because he has to die. And if he didn't die for your sins, well, then you have to do it yourself, right? And that becomes the problem. So, we go, to, we go to church. After all, it's Easter. This is the day to come, right? And as we come to church, you know, well, we have to make sure we tick our box. Came again. So we can make sure that Jesus, when he checks our attendance card, knows that we were not truant. But if he died for our sins, they're paid for. But Jesus went beyond just simply dying for our sins. He turned to us then and said, unless you're willing to pick up your cross and follow me, you can't even call yourself my disciple. How many people would honestly be called Jesus' disciples today? Are we really willing to pick up our own cross? In other words, to die to ourselves. Not recruit Jesus to make our life better. He's not like a do-it-yourself life improvement program. Not to just kind of recruit him into the things. Oh, Lord, I really want to get this and this and this done. They're beyond me. So maybe if I could recruit you and try to look like I'm on your side, you'll do what I ask. Get me the job. Get me the man. Get me the house. Get me the whatever. Then I'll what? No, you won't. You know what you'll do is you'll find the new thing to tell God to get you. I've been there. But Jesus says, if you really want to follow me, you got to die. This is the problem, by the way, with any one of us that thinks that God has no right to touch any part of us. But I was born this way, but I'm this way, but I have a tendency for this, but I like this, my appetite's for this. Sure it is, but when you die, God creates new everything. And by the way, that's nobody in particular. That's everybody particular. That's everybody. It doesn't matter where you started. God has the right to tear down and reinvent from the ground up. As we say, you be tore up from the floor up. And these girls knew it. They knew the death part now. More than his disciples. And let me remind you, disciples just means students. And can I say like I would any week, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Get your answers from this beautiful book. And if you've got a problem with it, take it up with the author. This is what we know about these gals. We have a Mary and an other Mary. Did you notice that in our text? Now, we'll read that there are other people involved, but in Matthew's account, he's chosen to make sure that the camera angle is tight. So you're only seeing these two gals. Mary, we know of as Mary Magdalene. By the way, in Mark chapter 16, verse 9, it makes very clear when Jesus rose on that first day, the week he appeared first to this gal, this Mary Magdalene. It says, out of whom he had cast seven demons. 
No matter how many weird movies you've seen lately that have come out of Hollywood to try to make somebody look possessed, this girl really was. And she was possessed, not by one, but by seven demons, as if one wasn't bad enough. I'm not exactly sure how you could tell the difference. One thing's for sure, her life was a mess before she met Jesus. And she met Jesus, and this was a girl that was more than willing to die to who she was. Wouldn't you be? And there are people like that in this room. Now, I'm not telling you you're possessed by seven demons or anything like that. What I'm saying is, people in this room, that you came in this room, and you are more than happy to let God reinvent every part of you until he really, and because the parts that were in front of you were the nasty, ugly, horrible, filthy, wretched parts that you know about when you sing, you know, oh, that saved the wretch like me, and you, you meant it, you felt it when you sang it. But as God starts to change every part of you, he starts to touch nerves on things that you're like, whoa, actually, oh yeah, there's that part of me. But that part's cool. You're not going to touch that part, are you? He's going to touch every part. He's going to cramp your style. He's going to change your groove. He's going to flip you in such a way that you won't recognize you. And if you came in thinking God came to just give you a little bit of help, you're in the wrong place. Because dead people don't need a little bit of help. Dead people get a little bit of perfume, a whole lot of makeup, a nice suit, and that's what they get. But they don't stop being dead from that. That's a little help. We need transformation. Mary was transformed and chose to follow Jesus for the rest of her life. It would be this Mary that would crack, as at least we have as a sinner, fairly likely would be the one that would crack oil upon him, lavish him with her love. There would be another Mary that would do the same, but not this other Mary. This other Mary, we'll read, by the way, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 16, was the mother of James. The mother of James. James who? Well, when you read the story of Jesus, we read that he had four brothers and at least two sisters because we read sisters plural. That means Jesus had a six pack of siblings outside of himself. So no matter where you want to go with this Virgin Mary thing, there are a whole lot of miracles taking place. Anyways, you get the point. Anyways. And James was one of them. James Joseph was another Judas and Simon and then his sisters. Very likely the other Mary was Jesus's mother. Who, by the way, whose life got flipped upside down. And they're very, very different people. And I'd like you to realize, chances are you came in here as one or the other today. The one that really wanted a really good spiritual home makeover. You wanted everything changed, and at least everything you can see. So there are those Marys. The Mary that came in and said, you know what, Jesus, when I surrender all, I really, at this moment, as much as I can see what all is, you can have it all. At least in this moment. But death is pretty permanent, don't you think? Well, except for maybe Jesus. On the other side of it, there are the other Marys. You know, you weren't necessarily that bad. People didn't look at you and make you the poster child for the America's Most Wanted or whatever the case is. You weren't on any form of Interpol. You were just kind of a relatively, quote-unquote, good person. But the Bible makes clear nobody's good. But as far as the world looked at it, you were a fairly decent citizen. You weren't choking anyone, blowing anyone up, kicking strangers or anything like that. Interesting that God would have both at the tomb. Interesting that they would both be women in a culture, by the way, where women don't get much credence. One of the reasons I'm sure this could not have been made up, because nobody 2,000 years ago in the Middle East would write that God appeared to a woman. Try that in Saudi Arabia today and see how well that works. And these two women are there. Devotion to death. Where are the disciples? Maybe sleeping, maybe hiding, all bumming hard. But these two girls can't sleep. And God wants every one of us, 2,000 years later, thousands of miles removed to know it. See, they weren't the only ones up at this hour. So was Jesus. And these two girls are so driven that they do everything without idea of the details. You know anyone like that? 
They get so into making sure everything's ready, but they really don't think about the details, like how are we going to roll away a 10-ton stone? How are we going to deal with a horrible, wicked, ruling guard that's planted at the front? In the dark, women, Roman soldiers treat women like pieces of meat, and these two girls are going to throw themselves at the mercies of Roman guards. Do you really think that that was thought through? But they didn't care. It was like for that moment it didn't matter anymore. And they bring with them roughly a body weight full of ointment. So think about it. Roughly about eight stone. Which one of you wants to drag roughly eight stone worth of aloe vera covered in perfumes? Interesting, because Mary had anointed him before his death before this, and now Mary's going to anoint him after. And two gals, according to this, though there'll be others, are dragging this ointment. So, there you go. That's four stone a person. Good on you. In the dark, from where they are in Bethany, to Jesus' site of crucifixion, just outside the city. That means they have to drag that stuff roughly between one to three miles. Any of you want to drag eight stone for roughly two to three miles? Because they would rather be with a dead Lord than be with a dead living. So off they go. On the way, they start to think about the inevitable. How are we going to get that stone? How are we going to deal with the guards? See, that was less important at the moment. It was a Sabbath, and technically they have to rest. But it doesn't appear as if they did. And as they came there, what we read is there was a great earthquake. Did you notice that there in verse 2? Look at it with me. Do you know what behold means? Where I come from, they would say, yo, yo, peep this. What that means is stop everything. Stop thinking about other things. What you're going to have for lunch, the roast, and why children are eating little chocolate round things that come out of bunnies. Stop thinking about all that. Now you probably are because I said that. And he says, no, I want you to think about this. That was a great earthquake. I start to think, wow, earthquakes, earthquakes, earthquakes. What do I know about earthquakes? Found an interest in the first time that God introduced an earthquake, by the way, was in Ezekiel chapter 38, verse 19. Perhaps you're familiar with the text. It was Eliyahu, or we might say Elijah. Eliyahu has now thrown in his resignation. Well, God's going to give him the P45 at the end anyways. What had happened is he was a man who listened. He heard the voice of the Lord, stood before a king and said, no rain until I say so. And God said, leave me. He goes, bye. And off he goes. That was the end of the conversation. And then he listens again, and he stands up and goes toe-to-toe against 850 false prophets that were on salary from the dole of the king. And when he does, he says, make sure that everyone knows, Lord, that I've done this at your command. I heard you, and I'm doing it. And this is a man, every time he listens, man, this man is victorious and invincible. But then it says, when he saw the threats of Jezebel and everything changed. The moment he started looking instead of listening, things changed. And he fled, and he ran to a cave. And as he ran to the cave, he's just there pounding up his tears about me. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. You know that kind of thing. And he's just going for it, and he's just weeping over the whole thing. This is First Kings 19, by the way. And in First Kings 19, what happens is God kind of goes, oh, What are you doing here? Oh, God knows. You ever have God ask you a question? You realize God doesn't ask you a question because he doesn't have the answer. He just because he needs you to have, he needs you to answer your questions so you can hear it. So why did you do that in the first place? Why didn't you do that? Well, because I'm all by myself. Everybody else is following false gods and I'm just here by myself. Come on out. Get out of your little cave, buddy. He sits him on a rock. There was a great wind, but God wasn't in the wind. And then there was a great earthquake. And God wasn't there either. Hmm. God wasn't there. Ezekiel 38, by the way, in verse 19, actually is a text where God pronounces judgment on Gog. That, by the way, is roughly Russia. And as he does, 
what we read is the reason is because God's not there. The earthquake is there to tell you that God's blessing is not there. It's gone. In Matthew 27, as Jesus dies, the moment Jesus dies, there is an earthquake. The veil is torn from top to bottom, seven stories high, top to bottom. And there is an earthquake. Might I suggest to you, God was throwing out some earthquakes for the same reason. He wasn't there. While Elijah was waiting to feel something, to feel the wind blow, to feel the heat of the fire, to feel the earth move. And he was, wow, man, he wanted that so bad. And you know, sometimes you can do that. You can go to church and you can feel the earth move and you can feel the heat. Woo! And we're going for it. But God doesn't have to be there just because that's happening. See, what God was teaching Elijah, well, how did God get a hold of Elijah? How did God speak to him? And it's still small. Voice. See, what he was doing with Elijah was he was getting him to listen again. Oh, you could see and feel the others, but he had to learn to listen again. It wasn't in the earthquake. In Gog, God wasn't in it. As Jesus died, he wasn't there now. There was an earthquake. And here, there was an earthquake because God wasn't there either. And Matthew says, now, why don't you stop for a minute and think about the fact there was an earthquake? And we went, okay, ground shook, and we move on, right? But he said, behold, and we got behold, which meant drive slower, but don't stop. So we stopped, and there was an earthquake. And then he told us about some guards. See, the guards were there because the, see, the, the one people that seemed to get Jesus' prophecy was his opponents. Does that, what does that tell you? The guys that hated him were the only ones that seemed to get to understand it. Follow me on this. Let's say we have a Roman guard. A Roman guard is four people. So, <clears throat> the official grant Roman guard, Jamal, is sort of proxy. The four of you are in a Roman guard. You get a three to four hour shift. You get your cute little skirts, your little mumus, right? You get all your weapons. There is a seal, like a police line, that is set. Anybody who breaks that police line, you have a legal right. Anyone who gets near it close enough to throw a 10-foot pole or touch it with a 10-foot pole can be killed without repercussion. So you really don't like someone, invite them to get near and kill them. Well, anyways, you get the idea. <clears throat> and it was very, very important because Romans were trying to convince everybody else that they were invincible. I mean, they were around for over a 1,000 years, roughly 1,500 years. That's a pretty long time. So if there was a case where you were on guard, you would be replaced by the next guard within three, four hours. So there's a three-hour shift at night. First, second, third watch. You would keep each other awake. See, this is what would happen. If you were to fall asleep and something like this would happen, they wouldn't just kill you. They would kill every person in your town. That's how serious it was. That was for everyone. Now, if all four of you were from four different towns, that's four dead towns. You get the idea, right? So what they would do is, if you can get the idea, so if one of you were killed, by the way, they would kill the rest of the guard, too, because you were responsible to make sure that Jamal didn't fall asleep or whatever the case was, right? Or Micah, we had a long night or whatever. So what they would do is, if somebody looked like they were starting to nod off, you would take a torch and stick that baby right at the bottom of that moo-moo skirt, because nothing keeps you awake more than your trousers on fire, or your pants on fire. Liar, liar. This is why, by the way, Jesus will tell us later, and Paul would as well, that we are to keep watch and thus save our clothes. Because we, we got the metaphor from the Romans. You start falling asleep, man, your clothes are going to catch on fire. See, because if you would rather defend somebody in your underwear than die and have your whole town die with you. Does that make sense? So you have these guys who, by the way, the guys you put on Roman guard, they're grumpy, they're not very happy, they're stationed there, and they just want to kill people because they can that's the kind of guys that are there at a Roman guard that Mary and the other Mary are putting themselves at the mercy of. Could you imagine? They could kill you, they could rape you, they could do whatever they wanted, and Rome would stand behind them. That was the idea. Now, you would never become a centurion that way. Centurions were, got, were actually graduated by their merit, by their character, but a guard, on the other hand, could be as unscrupulous as you wanted him to, and that was fine. You wanted him scary as possible, because you were the people that showed the rest of the world how scary Rome was. And that was there. And what we read is, 
that there were four of these guys, or at least that would be the case because it was a Roman guard. So there's a seal. That seal, by the way, I mean, imagine the cush job you think this is. How dumb do you think you have to be? They go, yeah, we need you to guard a dead guy. Well, you're certainly not looking in that direction because he's not coming out. So all you have to look for is they look, well, these Galileans, and you've got to watch for them because they're kind of uneducated, kind of crazy people. They're the kind that kind of watch Duck Dynasty and drink moonshine and walk around with buck teeth and overalls and chase things in their quads. I mean, that's kind of the idea that people would view. And so, so with that, get the idea here that the, the Roman soldiers, all they're doing is they're sitting there, they're keeping things lit, and they're basically watching for anything that comes near them so they could kill it. It's that simple. They didn't expect anyone to show up from above them. That probably wasn't in the script. Would have been for you. But I've never heard anywhere of such guys. Imagine four ninja warriors. Imagine four SEAL team crack soldiers. You've got Vin Diesel. And you've got The Rock. And whoever else you want to put in there. You know, guys that can't talk because of all of the horse steroids. I don't know. Four of those guys. You know, they can't even put on their bandoleros because they do the pick pop of love. And they shoot bullets. From like flexing. Four of those guys. All right. And all of a sudden, an angel that kind of comes, and we read it seems so nonchalant the way that Matthew records it. And it's the only, the only uh, of the four Gospels we have this, so it's kind of fun to develop. <clears throat> and the angel comes, and earthquakes, and it says, because. An angel came down, rolled away the stone, and it sat on it. Any of you ever think how funny that would be? So there's this several ton stone, ten ton stone, or whatever the case is. So this thing weighs more than a lorry. And the, and the angel just kind of goes like, pink, goes over and then goes, ah, hi there. And what we read is that the, the Roman soldiers faint. That's what it says. They became like dead men. They're like, ah, and over they went. Wouldn't you, let's be honest, when you get to stand before the Lord, and, he, and if he could roll film on events in history, maybe you want to see certain ones. Don't you want to see that one? I do. I want to see four guys faint in Latin because an angel rolls away a stone and just kind of nonchalantly sits on it. He sits on it. I mean, look at Angels got to proclaim the coming of the baby Jesus. Remember, glory to God in the highest and on earth, goodwill. I mean, angels were sent, for instance, like Gabriel sent to Mary and to Joseph. Said, you, I mean, I know you've never been near a guy, but you're going to have a baby anyways. Don't ask me to explain. God's going to take care of it. Just trust him. Okay, cool. Zechariah, hey, by the way, you, I know you're really old, but you're going to have a baby anyways. How cool is that? He's like, I don't know. Don't worry. I'm not going to get any more back talk from you. You're done. But of all the angels that could volunteer, would this be the one you'd want? Imagine it's like duties by angels. And I'm like, can I have that one? Roll away a stone, sit on it, and make a bunch of guys faint. And they do. So imagine this. So there's Amina and Yasmin, Mary and the other Mary. And they're dragging their ointment up hills and down hills. Because, by the way, Jerusalem's on a hill. It's on the outside of the Jerusalem. They're from Bethany, or, that's, if that, or probably in that area, because everyone seems to be staying there, if that would be the case. But if you have to go down a ravine and up on the other side, dragging this stuff. And you're like, how are we going to get away this stone? How are we going to deal with the soldiers? And you kind of come up over the side of this veranda. And you look and you're like, hmm, didn't see that one coming. Either of you think, probably they'll be like fainted. We'll probably have fainted guards on a rolled away stone. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's a pretty good possibility. Nobody would have thought that. I don't care how big your faith is. Nobody would have thought it. So stop it for a moment. We're so quick to what if everything bad, right? What if I wake up and my gallbladder explodes? I mean, we can make up all kinds of stuff on the what if. Anyone ever go, what if the stones rolled away? What if the guards fainted? We're like, shut up. That's stupid. Nobody does that. You start going to be depressing like the rest of us. Saints who read the word. I have faith in God, but life's miserable. What if this bad thing? What if? And like we live in this life where we give ourselves overstores over things that never happened but could. Could you imagine? Shouldn't we be the people that what if good? What the rest of the world what if bad? What if you wake up and you were great today? You were sinless. Like you weren't tempted by the same things you were yesterday. What if you woke up today and everything was different? What if that person that never said, they always said, shut up about Jesus, don't talk to me about Jesus, I don't want anything about Jesus, you can pray with. You go, oh, shut up, that doesn't happen. Oh, yeah? Really? What if? What, what's the what ifs of today? On this day, God blew away all what ifs. So what happens? We showed up. 
And there they are passed out. And there's the stone rolled away. Now understand, please understand something. God did not roll away the stone to get Jesus out. See, if that were the case, Jesus wouldn't have had to walk through walls later. He could walk through walls. Now, you know why he doesn't let us do that, right? Could you imagine the trouble we would get in if we could walk through walls? But Jesus did. He didn't roll away the stone, please hear me, to get Jesus out. He rolled away the stone to get the girls in so they could see. He tore the veil to show you that God was coming out. He opened up the stone to let you in. Now, let me roll this into something for a moment here. Please, please hear me. I I look on tombstones, and it's interesting because I thought it was just in movies, but it had to come from somewhere. And we went to these, like, really old, it's one of the, I mean, you go to churches. They're in the front of the church, right? I don't know about you. Maybe that's a cool thing for you. Creepy for me. I don't know. Hey, let's go to the place where God's alive, but first let's dodge these tombstones on the way in. I don't know. Anyways, but, you know, you walk by this one and it's got that big R.I.P. on it, right? And this week I've been walking and praying, thinking about our text, and I look and I see this R.I.P. And I thought, wow, that's kind of interesting. And I get the idea of rest in peace and all that. And then I started reading this text. And I realized, the question the girls ask is, who will roll away the stone? I had hope, but I don't anymore. We'll roll away the stone. I just want to see this dead guy one more time. And can I say to you, who's going to roll away the stone for London? Look at it with me. Develop this with me for a minute. Because what we got is this RIP thing going on with both from the angel's perspective and then from Jesus's as well. Look at it with me. Don't, don't just believe me. Check it out. First of all, this is what we get about the angel. It tells us, by the way, in verse 3, that his countenance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow. So he was identified by two things, radiance and purity. Did you notice that? Radiance and purity. That's how Because how do you know an angel from the other guy? That he's giant? Really? Or is it that he glows in the dark and his clothes are that white? I get the idea it's radiance and purity. And that separates him from all of the others in the area. And let me remind you, angel just means messenger. That's all it means. That's why an evangelist... Eva, or you, means good. Evangelist literally means good messenger. It's all it means. Good angel. An evangelist is a good angel. Be a good angel. Listen to this with me. So the guards shook because of fear of him, and they became like dead men. And it says, but the angel answered and said to the women, don't be afraid. Aren't you don't think it's kind of funny that he didn't say it to the guards? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like, yes, be afraid. Be very afraid. Yes, but you girls, don't be afraid. I know who you seek, Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen as he said. Could you say as he said? As he said. Now that tells me, by the way, that the angel was aware that Jesus had said this ahead of time, right? Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And then, go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, by the way, I've told you. So in case, I, you know, the Lord says, did you tell him? I say, hey, you know it. I told you. Now, look at this simply. It's three very simple things, by the way. Don't miss this. One, he recounts. That's what he does. He recounts what the Lord said. He says, let me tell you what the Lord said. The Lord said he was going to die and raise again, just like he said he did it. Did you get that? Paul would say, hey, I delivered you what I first received. To be such an angel that will roll, to be a stone roller today, we start by recounting what Jesus has told us, what Jesus has said. We don't just go, oh, by the way, ideologically, or I think in my head, maybe a little of this. No, 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 listen. We start by recounting what Jesus has said. If we're going to roll the stone for people, that's where it starts. Second, we invite them to see where death was, but now has been overcome, defeated, and plundered. Have you seen that? Come and take a look. Let me invite you to see. This was a place of death, but it's not anymore. Listen. This was a place of death, but it's not anymore. Death has been plundered. Death has been overcome. Death lost. For good. One, two, three, out. You're done. Give up the belt. You're over. That's the idea here. And this stone-rolling angel says, let me recount to you what Jesus said, and then let me invite you to go and look at where death was but isn't anymore. And then finally, let me point you to where you'll meet Jesus. He said he's going to be in Galilee. You might want to go to Galilee. It's a good idea. 
by the way, they're going to be in Jerusalem for another eight days. That tells me that they didn't listen. Jesus is going to have to show up and he says, didn't I say I'd be in Galilee? Go to Galilee. Do you get that? I said I'd be in Galilee. Go. And they're like, but we're afraid. If I said I'll meet you in Galilee, do you think I'm going to let you die on the way? Go. So listen, listen. If you are going to be that and you see someone and they're like troubled because they don't know Jesus. You know what Ezekiel says? That there was a stone in our heart. That's what our our heart was. (laughs) But God promised I would take that heart of stone and replace it for a heart of flesh. I'm going to roll that stone away. So who's going to do it? Who's going to be used to fulfill what God promised through Ezekiel? I'll tell you who is you are. That's who's going to be you are. But this is how it works. You see someone and they're like, my life's miserable. And you want to be like, oh, don't feel so bad. It's all right. It's like, look, you know what? Yeah, life does suck. It sucks everything out of you. But God gives. And God's going to let life be rough so that you will turn to him. So look, at as much as I'd love to put a salve on that and remind you and just try to make you feel a little bit better while you run to hell, let me do what I'm supposed to do. First of all, let me recount what Jesus said. He said, come to me. You who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Are you tired? Are you weary? Well, then come to him. That's what Jesus told me. I know that, and he knows that. And now you do too. Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Is your life weighed down and ill-fitting and chafing you right now? Sounds like you have the wrong one. The Bible says whoever is in Christ is a new creation. And Jesus said if you would come to him, he would never cast you away. That's what he promised. And I'm just recounting to you what he's already told me. And I want to do the same now, encourage you. So is that where your life is right now? You want life to be a little bit better? How about life being permanently better? Hey, your circumstances don't have to change for your life to get better. That's for sure. But then I want to invite you. To invite, by the way, demands that we have to be available. Did you notice that? Let me invite you to go take a look at what was once death. And you can decide for yourself if it's for real. I don't invite you to church because I want more people coming to church and tithing. I want you to come to church because I want you to see people whose lives have been transformed. For you to decide for yourself whether this God's for real. Come and see where death once was. Ah, But it's not there anymore. And then let me point you to where you can meet him. The Bible says, if you're willing to confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He'll meet you right there and transform you from that point forward. It's that simple. So RIP, rest in peace. How about this? Better yet, let me recount to you what Christ has done. Let me invite you into my life and take a look. And then let me point to you where you can find him. Let me wrap this up to close this up. Take a look at the end of this then. Jesus meets them and he's got his own RIP. It says this. It says in in verse 9, And the women went to tell his disciples. And Jesus met them on the way. I mean, understand what the women would have told him. What the women would have told him was, We went to the tomb, it was empty, Jesus isn't there. Oh, and there's these guards, they fainted, that was pretty awesome. And there was an earthquake and the stone was rolled away. A lot of information that would have sounded utterly insane, wouldn't it? But Jesus met them and the first thing he said to them was rejoice. Rejoice. So they came and held him and they worshipped him. And then Jesus said, don't be afraid. That, by the way, that means that every, every person these women have encountered has told them not to be afraid. Have you noticed that? And angel said, don't be afraid. And Jesus says, oh, by the way, he meant it. Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. By the way, that's the second time these women have been told that now, right? And while they were going, then some of the guard came into the city, reported with the chief priests uh, and the guard. And then basically they go and listen to this. They go in and they're like, oh, my goodness, we passed out. Now, which one of you Roman guards wants to tell anybody what just happened? There is no good lie to make up. What good lie could you make up? Ninjas came and gassed our area and we just all suffered the death gas. I mean, there's nothing you could come up with. So they, and notice, by the way, they didn't run to the Romans. They ran to the chief priests, and they're like, I don't know, this is a supernatural issue. You guys might want to try to help explain this. 
We saw this big glowing guy, white, pure, and, and emanating light. I mean, here we were with our torches, and our torches looked dull because this guy was just glowing. And then he rolled away our tent on stone, and then just sat on one. Hey. And then the next thing I know, we were, we were like waking up and looking at each other. And then and the religious leaders say, well, I'll tell you what. Tell them you fell asleep. Hey, if you lived in one of their towns, would you say, thanks a lot? And by the way, if this gets to the governor's ears where he could really come down on you about this, we'll take care of it. Which makes it sound that the religious leaders knew that they kind of ruled the government around them at that point. But notice in verse 15, by the way, it says, And so they took the money and did as they were instructed, and the saying is commonly reported among the Jews until this day, which tells me that the body of Jesus was still missing when this was written. You want to stop this whole thing from happening? All you have to do is produce the body, right? It's like, bam, it's over. Jesus rose from the dead. No, there's the dead body. Well, there was no dead body because Jesus rose from the grave and ascended. It wasn't there. And the 11 disciples did go away to Galilee in verse 16. So the mountain, notice, 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 the mountain where Jesus had pointed for them. Jesus had already set aside a mountain specifically for them in Galilee. And when, he, when they saw him, then they worshipped him. Oh, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven on earth. So therefore, because this, and by the way, the word is, the word echemi, the word I do, it literally means I stand out. God, the Father now has made me stand out from every other individual who's ever lived. Jesus does not fit into the category of religious leaders. He is unique. And because I have all authority, I'm going to give you some. Aren't you thankful? Jesus? Now, if you had all authority, would you give any? Shirley's like, all authority has been given to me. Stinks to be you. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, all authority has been given to me, and therefore I'm going to give you some. Go now into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, Jesus is our IP. Rejoice. That's where it starts. Rejoice. Let me tell you why. Jesus doesn't say rejoice. He's like, rejoice with me. Do you know why I can rejoice? Because when I'm with Jesus, it's all life. There's no death. All that death that I was worried about, all that stuff that dies, that dies that I once was, doesn't matter compared to the life I have in him. When my eyes are on what's dying, I freak out. When my eyes are on him, it's all life. Things are good and I can rejoice. I'm like, but what if that doesn't happen? And what if that, and now I'm what if in like the rest of the world again. I look at Jesus, I'm like, what if you came back today? Would it matter? What if you saved every person that I just spoke to today? Would I speak? The eye, by the way, and notice, by the way, he does the same thing, and that is invite others to meet him. He's like, no, go to Galilee. Tell, tell those boys to go to Galilee. That's where it is. And then the P is to prepare them for discipleship. I want you now to prepare them to make disciples. Go tell them, man, I'm giving them purpose. Now you go out and do this. But listen, here's the most beautiful thing as we bring this to a close, beloved. Listen, can I say that the first three would be for anyone who has not met Jesus. And as an angel that wants to roll away your stone and give you life. Listen, let me recount to you again. If you're willing to say yes to Jesus, he's willing to transform you today and make you brand new. And you're welcome to investigate and see. But I tell you right now, I'm not just different than I was. I want to be different from what's out there. Because what's out there is dead. And I want to point you to that choice now and say you can receive the gift of Jesus. But now I want to talk to those of you who are saved here. Rejoice with me. The world's seen enough saintly sourpusses. The biblically bitter. What the heck is that? They need to see a world of rejoicing because in the presence of the Lord is the fullness of joy. Never forget that. Not the presence of cool circumstances. That's what the world's looking for. I'm looking for the one whose circumstances don't matter anymore. I could rejoice with God in the middle of the storm. To be honest, I have. As of recent... There have been some crazy, wacky things over the last few months. 
But man, it hasn't stopped me from rejoicing because my God hasn't changed. I want to rejoice, but I also want to invite you, listen, I want to invite you to investigate with me this God. And you know what he's going to do for you and me? He's going to give us purpose. I want us to go out and actually show people what it really means, not just to say yes to Jesus, but now to become his students. And you know where we did that? This is how it ends, on a mountain that he had prepared for us. So follow me back for a moment, two and a half years. Two and a half years ago, Simon Peter had just been recruited. Two and a half years ago, Brother Andrew, his brother, had just been recruited. Oh, he was baptizing with John the Baptist, but he went and got his cantankerous brother, Peter. Two and a half years ago, John, well, it seemed like he was baptizing too with John the Baptist, but has gone to follow. I didn't know much. Two and a half years ago, his brother James went with. You know what they did? They dropped their nets. They left their boat. They left their dad. They left their 401k fishing business. Oh, they left it. To follow a guy that simply said, follow me. And you're like, yeah, okay. You know what they did according to the Gospel of Matthew? It says, and they brought to him. They. Who is they? They brought to Jesus. Those that were possessed. I'm not pointing at you because you were possessed. Those that were possessed, those who were powerless. Those that were paralyzed. Because who better? Not the thinking theologian. Not the erudite. To be honest, the dauntless. And I'll tell you why. Because you're going to be carrying people who are stewing in their own fecal matter. And fishermen can handle the smell. You're going to be grabbing chains of possessed people. And fishermen have pretty rough hands. So you might not have gotten the call if, well, you certainly wouldn't have gotten the call if the religious leaders in Jerusalem were recruiting. You wouldn't have made the first cut. Oh, but for Jesus? Listen, listen, listen. And they brought to him. They brought to him those that were possessed and powerless. They brought to them those that were tormented. Tormented. That means not just physically tormented, but some girls that were and guys that were basket cases emotionally as well. You know, it said, and he healed them. And you know where he did that? Up on a mountain in Galilee. And picture this if you would. Jesus standing there. A pile of chains that will never be needed again. A pile of cots that will be burned before the night is over because you won't need those anymore. Crutches galore that could be used in the, turned into plows. And that's where Jesus turns and in Matthew 5 then says, Blessed. You're blessed. You're blessed. That's who you are now. You're blessed. That's who you are now. You're blessed. That's who you are now. You're blessed. That's what you are. You're blessed. And see, we followed him. You know what we did? We just, this is what we knew. If I could bring him to Jesus, he would fix him. That's all we knew. We didn't have to know what your problem was. We didn't have to know how long you've had it. We didn't have to know how deep the problem is, what stage the cancer is. We didn't have to know whether it's crept into your bowels or your intestines or whatever. Hey, if you love someone, you might get that information, but it doesn't change the truth that if I could get him to Jesus, he could take care of it. And that was what ministry looked like two and a half years ago. It doesn't surprise me that after Jesus rose from the grave and he's about to send them out to minister, that he meets them right there again. As if he sat there and he says, boys, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here for a second. You know, and he's like, now, remember this hill? Do you remember when you brought that guy? Do you remember when you carried that guy? And that guy that was like, no, it's too late, it's impossible, and I've already tried the occult, and I've already called my psychic hotline, and they said it was a bad day. You know, but you carried him anyways. And that guy that you grabbed by the chains, and he was like, Bleh. and you're like, oh, whatever. And you're like, I'm so scary. And you're like, whatever. Come on with me anyways, man. And, and you dragged him. Remember that? And look on this. Remember, and remember how there were just people. There were people everywhere that were no longer those things. And it wasn't because you became an expert in anything but taking them. Remember that? You just took them. And that was ministry. And you can see Jesus going, hey, I'm going to be going in a bit here. We've got 40 days. And I'm going to pour forth your, my Holy Spirit on you. And then you guys are going to do, but never forget, 
That's what real ministry looks like. You didn't have a PhD. It wasn't like you had been in seminary for eight years and you quoted all of Spurgeon's works or Wesley's works or Calvin's works or whatever. You didn't you probably couldn't even you didn't even know what the word eschatology meant to tell us whether you when the Lord's coming. You just knew he was. Have a seat, thanks, guys. Listen. And today we're so busy being experts in everything that's meaningless. It's like you could actually tell us a thousand and one uses for a syringe. And what bacteria comes from and how penicillin, what it's made out of and what laboratories. And you've memorized everything, including the area codes and postcodes of every place that makes penicillin. But you've never injected it in anyone because, well, that's not what experts do. But here he brought him back up and he says, rejoice, guys. He goes, you know what? Do you remember when all authority was shown here? There was nothing that was brought that I couldn't take care of. Remember that? Nobody was brought, and I went, oh, that's a tough one. What are we going to do about that one, guys? We better, you guys keep that demoniac tame for a little bit. We're going to go, like, fast and pray for a few days. This is going to be a rough one. We don't read any of that. We get, like, it's like a sentence. They brought him and he healed him. That was it. We don't even read it. It was a lengthy anything. He brought us back here, and he said, oh, look, at I, you know I have all that authority. Now, how about if I give it to you? What would you do if I did? Would you make disciples? Would you roll away stones? Because what I want you to do. But stones are heavy, not for angels. Stones are heavy for people, but not for angels. So go be a messenger. Go recount what he's told you. Go invite them to see where death was but isn't anymore. And go point them to where they can meet him. And then rejoice with me. And let's go together and investigate this God and this calling on our life. Which, by the way, I guarantee you when you stand before him, you will never have a moment to go, boy, I wish I didn't minister that much. Boy, you know, I wish I had like, played more Xbox. I guarantee you in the sight of heaven, there will be none of that. As we go to prayer, saints, are you willing to go to the mountain with them and just trust them? Hey, what if they don't want to go? There's no shortage of crazy people. Find another. I don't mean to sound mean. Let's face it. How far do you have to go before you find the next person that needs Jesus? They're like on a conveyor belt here in this country, in this city. You're like, hi, would you like to know Jesus? No. Well, things to be you. Let's talk to the next guy. How about you? Well, who is he? Well, let's talk. Can I, can I invite you to come and see what, what, what the Lord's done? tell you what he's done for me. What he's done for us. Saints, I want to challenge us all to rise up now and just trust him. To trust him to lead us, to lead others. But if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ here today, and this is how we close it, you have a choice to make. A simple choice. You can say yes or no to him, but you're going to say something. And today, this God died for you, but that was half the story. What the death says is all that old stuff is done. It's paid for. Your guilt paid for. Your filth, you're paid for. Your crimes paid for. But see, that's half the story. The gospel doesn't end at the death of Jesus. That's why he's not on the cross anymore. His resurrection says there's a new life on the other side of that death. And that's why we don't fear letting go of anything, because there's a new life on the other side of it. You're still trying to, you're trying to go back to try to get that? What do you got for that? What's there? What's waiting for you on the other side of that? Rotting things. That's what's waiting on you on the other side. Oh, but beloved, today, man, he wants to show you a life like you could never imagine, but it's a resurrected life, and you can't get it without dying first to who you are. So you say yes to Jesus, and he takes who you were, takes who you are at the moment, lays them to rest, and then makes a new you. But that's the choice you've got to make. Will you pray with me? Lord, I want to thank you so much for the privilege of what you've done here today. I want to thank you for the honor of standing among these precious people and knowing that I get the honor of of challenging to, to roll away stones today and to send those who have had their stones rolled to the mountain and be set free to serve now. 
But Lord, you know by the power of your Holy Spirit, you know how to speak and you know what to say to each of us, Lord, and to confirm in our hearts what's true. So Lord, I pray today right now, first for every believer in this room. I pray for those, Lord, who have maybe been tempted to walk back to the world they once knew. But today, Lord, they want to step forward with you. They want to go back to that place where you showed us what ministry really looked like, but not step back into the world, but step, Lord, into that place where it was just us and you, and you did the work, and we just followed you, and we took people to you and trusted that you would handle it. Lord, there wasn't any politic in that. There wasn't any competition. And even in the two and a half, three years, Lord, since then, to this point now in text, there was a lot of politics of guys arguing over who would be greatest and who should be and who isn't and, and, and all of that weird envy and strife and all the stuff that happens when people get involved. But in the beginning, it was just us taking people to you and watching you transform them. Take us to that place now. And we do something real brave. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm, my call's out to believers first. Hey, maybe you've been living the kind of life where it's like sort of Christianese, but it isn't that, Lord, whatever you want, I'll follow you. But you recognize today that the, the things you're afraid to let go of are keeping you from a new life that God has that's better on the other side. You can't get new things in your hands while your hands are full of the old. And today, if you've been Christian, Christian, I'm talking to you now. Christian, I'm talking to you. If you've been living the kind of life where it's been like trying to keep God at bay, where you know he's got so much more for you, but you've been like, this is enough. But you know he's got better. And today, you want to actually take a stand? Say, Lord, I want all that you have for me. And I'm, I'm, as much as I'm able, I want to let go of everything and let you fill it with what you have instead. Christians, if that's you, if you've been in a dark place, but you know you shouldn't be, you've been the light of the world, but you're not being like you should be, and today you know that that needs to change, I'm going to ask you to stand with me right now. I'm not, I'm not holding any punches right now, because if we can't stand in this room, we can't stand anywhere. And today, if that's you, just take a stand. Come on, take a stand and say, you know what? You know what? I want all that the Lord has for me. Now, and, and you know that this, this is the day. You want to say, on this Easter, I'm taking that stand today. I'm taking that stand. I don't want to tell God, you can't touch this, you can't do that. Lord, I lift my hands right now and surrender to you. And I praise you for my brothers and sisters who have been bold enough to stand today. And I pray right now, Lord God, in this room, no holds barred, Lord, lead us to places beyond our wildest imagination, greater than any what if we could possibly imagine, deeper than any script we could imagine that we think would be good. Lord, you blew the minds of those gals. You blew the minds of the soldiers. You blew the minds of every person involved there. And so today, Lord, we ask, blow our minds now. Lead us, Lord, to places so glorious, so great, so effective, so fruitful, that we don't even recognize the world we live at the moment. Lord, whatever changes need to be made, whatever choices need to be made, give us the strength and the power to make them, God, so that today we would be people, Lord, that walk out of here full of joy and lit up for you to say, Lord, whatever it is, whatever it is, Lord, it's yours. And I don't want to fight you anymore over it, Lord. I want to let go of my, I want to open my hands and let you take whatever you want to take out of it, because I know, Lord, you're not a God of knots, you're a God of instead-ups. So, Lord, remove what you need to remove and replace it, Lord. Replace it with what you have, which I am sure is better, infinitely better. So here we are, Lord, and we stand in agreement on this, in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen. Be seated, saints. And now, Lord, I just thank you so much for the bravery. Now, Lord, if there be anyone in this room who is not sure whether they've ever said yes to Jesus or not, they've struggled with it maybe, or maybe they thought, well, you can be sure you've made that choice today. I'm going to pray a prayer right now. And I ask you at the end, you say, Amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that be my prayer. Let those words be my words now. And here's the prayer. God, I am a sinner. I'm not perfect. And you sent Jesus to die on the cross so that all of my sin could be punished and paid for. Thank you for doing that. And that just proved 
that my sin was paid for. But three days later, just like you promised, just like Scripture promised over a thousand years before, just like Jesus promised, he rose again. And so I want that new life. I want to let go of who I was and let you wash that clean and make me the new person you want to reinvent me to be, which I am sure is better. I don't want you just to help me a little bit. I want you to transform me. So I confess Jesus as my Savior because he died for me. I confess him as my ransom because he paid for me. And I confess him as my, as my Lord because he rose for me. And as my risen Lord, now I surrender myself and say, here I am, I'm yours. I belong to you in Jesus' name. And if that's you and you want to choose Jesus, I ask you to say, Amen. Lord, now I just pray for every believer in this room, be it brand new or otherwise. I want to thank you for the privilege today of being able to celebrate your resurrection. But that's a joy I get every day of my life. So, Lord, today, transform us. Send us out of here ready to roll stones. In Jesus' name, amen.